Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. We have such sights to show you. Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric over there. Hello. That's Vanessa over there. Hello. I'm Kelly. Uh, if you are a regular listener of the show, you know that last week I teased that Danny Williford oh, yeah. had uh, said that when I go get the mail, I should make sure to dress up. Uh-huh. Right? Very cryptic, right? Yeah. Well, this came in the mail. Okay. A Halloween card. <laughs> okay. The dress up part makes... A little bit of sense now. Oh. The Halloween card in February does not exactly make a ton of sense. I am lost. <laughs> yeah, sure. it, he makes sure to even date 5th February 2022. <laughs> like, okay. All right. And um, just a really nice long oh my note. Uh, I really love this guy. He, um, he just talks a little bit about stuff. He basically loves writing letters and I think he's trying to go me into writing a letter and I'm like, nope, not going to happen, but I will talk about it on the air. Oh, there you go. <laughs> One of my favorites, he says, uh, I fed a seagull yesterday and told him about your own feathered friends. The bird was unimpressed. <laughs> I think it's avian pride talking. Oh. And then he finishes central to this card's premise. Happy Halloween. Give Eric and Vanessa the side eye for me. Thank you. Officially received. Side eye. Side eye in the house. I like that he knows that that is probably the look that I'm generally giving both of you while you're yeah. talking about your movies. So, sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't look up at you too often when I'm talking about my movies because I don't want to see that look of either boredom or disappointment. Usually just a sneer. <laughs> contempt. I, just, I don't want to know. I also hang, hung out with uh, Carlos Zamora last night and we had an absolute blast and i just wanted to mention uh, publicly this guy's generosity is ridiculous Jeez, and no he kidding. has been yeah. such a good friend to the show and to us yep. yeah um and i just wanted to give him a plug you know the cz media his podcast has got some really interesting seattle-based guests but he also does like builds websites for companies mm-hmm. and uh, his photography is spectacular. I think mm-hmm. I told you oh, yeah. he gave me his photo book, which is really, really cool. If you guys haven't looked through it, I will let you do that. And uh, just had a great time. Guess what? What? Not hung over this morning. I am shocked. It's, I was a little shocked myself. Because <laughs> you're holding out with him enough times now that you're, your incredible tolerance even is growing. Well, we went to a live taping of the Adam Carolla show. Oh, and okay. Then uh, we hung out at his place afterwards. And instead of my usual three or four bottles, uh-huh. I stopped at one bottle. I'm so Whoa. proud of you. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. I was, he did not. And I was just, I was giving him a side eye the whole time going, really? going to keep drinking? <laughs> he, in fact, at one point he poured himself another glass and looked at me and said, I'm not going to pour you a glass because you're driving. All right. <laughs> He's just going to have a good time. Where did this newfound sense of responsibility come from? Yes, he yes. did. He did mention it to me. I, I also uh, have to say a big thank you to Carlos for helping me with something that I can't talk about on air. But I, oh, oh my. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> Let me fill in the blank. No, right. <laughs> not not anything like that. He's a gentleman. Testing. He's a gentleman. Um, 
Uh, but yes, we did Why? talk about what you, um, how <laughs> drunk he was going to get you. And it seems like he, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't go overboard. Uh, the best part about my friendship with Carlos is uh, we have an absolute fantastic time when we're shit-faced and apparently when we're sober. That's huge. Oh, you had to give that a try, too. That's well, good. Well, this is how you know it's a real friendship, right? It's true. Yes. Yeah, I hung out with him a couple weeks ago, is... too. All right, I take back everything I said. <laughs> <laughs> Two ti- that three-timing bastard. I've seen his work. He's, he's dividing and separating us. <laughs> He's <laughs> slowly taking over all of Strange Eons. I know that he is a judge for the Crypticon Film Festival, and he, he confided in me. Eric says I'm overly critical. And I was like, that sounds right. You are overly critical. Yeah. <laughs> Quite all right. That's, you got to judge how you see him. That's, that's <laughs> kind of the point, right? I mean, that's good. Yes. It, unless you've... Uh, Submitted your film for this year's festival because now we have an overly critical judge looking at him also. <laughs> Don't worry. It all balances out. I know. Uh, <laughs> I saw a bunch of shit and I'm going to talk about something I'm going to guess you both saw. Let's see. Texas Chainsaw on Netflix. Oh, uh, yes. That was on my I list to talk about today. did not watch it. Oh, you're not had... missing much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that was the funny thing is, um, yeah, my, my partner was like, we should check this out. Everyone says it's really good. And I they looked do? at my Facebook feed and I was like, <laughs> everybody hates this. <laughs> I would like to know, yeah, what, what everyone he's talking to. I don't know. Uh, I'm guessing maybe, you know, like uh, sponsored sites or something. <laughs> I think uh, a lot of the people he works with are much younger. Oh, okay. Well, maybe. I, don't I know. thought there were some fun moments. Oh, yeah. Uh, I thought it was incredibly uneven. I, I wasn't sure what they were trying to say. Uh, it seemed like it was anti-gun. And then at the end, it seemed like, well, the way that you handle this is with a big fucking gun. I actually read hmm. just this morning <laughs> an interview with the director. And he was talking about, because he's from Hungary, I believe. Oh, yeah. And he was saying that coming here to America and seeing the way we look at things was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And his idea, he wanted to put in the movie, though, he wanted to talk about all these kind of ideas, but not give you any answers. The whole idea is like, these aren't black and white issues. These are really gray. There's all kinds of weird shit. But let's see what happens if I throw them all in a movie and I wish it had been a better movie for it. Mm. Well, I, I don't have a problem <laughs> with that. I'm not sure that uh, the sixth Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel is the place to yeah, exactly. experiment with these kind of ideas. Mm. I'm, I'm not sure that's your crowd. Yeah. Ironically, though, I think the stuff he did the best was the other half of that. It's some of the most insane, over-the-top kills that oh. you've seen in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. For hmm. sure. I, I did get the feeling that they were... I mean, I, I loved the ending, which yeah. obviously yeah. opens it up for another movie. And it did feel very much like... Uh, like he was like, well, okay, I guess I don't have to worry about a rating, right? If I'm going right to Netflix. <laughs> Good point. So let's just throw gallons of blood at the screen. Yeah, mm. the first kill, I was like, holy shit, this is going to be a different. Because the first movie, you know, is legendary for having no blood. Right. As violent as it is, there's really no blood. This movie does not have, and it truly probably is the first film to have a massacre. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> So, I mean, you guys are really making it sound good, though. It's a... I would say it's mostly entertaining. Yeah. But it is also quite stupid. Sure. And uh, super uneven, like I said, with with whatever message I was supposed to... It, it's great that you, you want to say, you know, not 
black and white and all that stuff. But most of the time, a movie has some kind of through line yes. that you're like, oh, I get it. This guy's ultra liberal. This guy's ultra conservative. Whatever is going on, right. there is something. And uh, I, I found, uh, I guess, much like all of the Texas Chainsaw Massacres, uh, very few people to root for because the kids annoyed the fuck out of me. And then the older people annoyed the fuck out of me also. And movies where uh, it requires somebody to do something extremely stupid at a moment where everything could have been stopped, that really, really yes. bothers me. Mm. And this was just like, okay, well, this movie could have been finished right here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I didn't love it, but I it loved the ending. Yep. When the, the credits started hmm. rolling. Interesting. The weirdest uh, criticism I've seen, I've seen it a few times, is that, well, God, Leatherface has got to be in his 70s now. So how can he do this? One guy compared him to fighting like it was The Raid. I'm going, I don't know what movie you watch, but he doesn't do any fighting like The Raid. It's, it's Leatherface. I mean, come on. This isn't, it's not a freaking documentary. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the first film, is a goddamn horror legend. It is a sure. masterpiece. Mm -hmm. The second film should have made you realize that from now on, everything else is off the chain. Because that second movie, actually, I, I like Texas 2 a lot. I love it. But it's batshit crazy. Especially the second half with Dennis Hopper and all the crazy shit. Yeah. So it's kind of like, well, you take any Texas Chainsaw Massacre, except for the first one. Seriously, you're missing the point. You know, yeah, they they decided you know they're doing the Halloween thing, so it's a mm -hmm. it's a legacy sequel because that's kind of hip now. But every movie has been a sequel to the first one. They there's zero yeah. continuity between any of the movies. Yeah. So they all just pretend the first one happened, and now you're watching this one. Yep. There's not even any of the same actors, I guess, until this one. Right. Yeah. Huh. So yeah, I don't know. That was a big uh, sawed off thumbs down for me. I would say if you're <laughs> if you're a slasher fan and you're in it just for the violence there's enough to keep you entertained but other than that it's like okay well i watched it it was it was it aggravated me less than the most recent halloween for sure well that's good to know yeah. at least i'm i'm probably going to check it out regardless just because everyone's talking about it but that's how we roll yeah <laughs> yeah um well i saw the end of something that i'm sure you both the end of Peacemaker. Oh, uh, Peacemaker. You have not watched no. it? What? You yeah. watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. See, this is sequel. what I'm talking about. Choices. Yes, Choices, exactly. people. This is what I'm talking about. Watching with your loved one. <laughs> okay. Timelines get skewed. Ridiculous. I didn't she didn't watch Texas Chainsaw. I see. <laughs> okay. She I wanted watched. to watch Peacemaker and, and No, I watched that. I watched Texas Chainsaw while she was you know, working or something at night. Well, that's uh, what I mean. Because she wants to oh, watch right. Peacemaker, you have to wait. Yes. Ah, uh, hmm. yeah. That, that makes sense. Well, I won't give anything away other than the series <laughs> is so solid. It's very so satisfying. Solid. Uh, last thing I thought would happen with a James Gunn series finale was me to get teary eyed. Right. <laughs> In general, just such good storytelling. Like even when you have ridiculous characters that should be super unlikable, each one of them were just you just were rooting for them and so excited. And I don't know. I loved it. Um, also, a huge surprise in that they released one episode and then the next day they were like, 
screw it. Here's the finale. <laughs> go enjoy. <laughs> Just go I noticed ahead and that. Do it. I noticed that too. Not even watch them going. Why did two show up all of a sudden? Oh, yeah. did, did I wait all week without knowing that? Possibly. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Because <laughs> I watched it Thursday. Yep. Thursday is when they uh, magically randomly released the next one. I think Wednesday was when they did the one before. Oh. Yeah. The fuck. I don't know. How long have I been sleeping? <laughs> have you actually watched the final one? Did you miss an episode? <laughs> no. I, yeah, I loved it. I, I will say that I absolutely loved it. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised because I hated the character in um, Suicide Squad 2. Um, and I really did not like Peacemaker and was like, I don't want to spend, you know, eight, ten episodes with this piece of crap. And no. I, I, I have great faith in, honestly, John Cena now and oh my yeah. James Gunn. Yeah. James yeah. Gunn just is. I don't see if DC has any foresight for the for a change. Maybe you give him an overarching thing. Look at Marvel and go, well, they created this whole thing that took, what, 15 years or whatever it was to complete. Yeah. Let's get this guy who can put together a storyline of not only a obscure figure from the movies, but an insanely obscure guy from the comic books. Yeah. And create an incredible show out of that. Maybe just maybe you might do something really cool with Batman or Superman. I would only say to that, uh, we said, let's give John Favreau the entire Star Wars thing he can do no wrong and then he shat out the book of boba fett so i would say look great job james gunn uh i'm going to support you until we find out that you said something horrible that or people hated you on set or something like that because we always find out something bad about the people we love and we already uh, went then, through that yeah i was gonna say we already yeah, done but it. that wasn't that wasn't anything big that was joking stuff we're gonna find out he's got swastikas in the house or something like that <laughs> i think by this point they must have already like sent in the disney team to you know swat through his home like break open his cushions and he'll say his something look the the line is changing on what you're allowed to say proactively so he'll have said something that was fine that is no longer fine in five years and he will be out so just i'm just saying <laughs> don't don't fall in love with this guy. You should know better by now, Vanessa. I know, just but waiting. my heart has to remain open for something. I must find joy in the world somehow. I can't just be cold and assume everyone's going to turn into fucking Joss Whedon. What? That's how I am, and look at how happy I am all the time. <laughs> oh God, you're a joy. <laughs> Yes, I love I love when I get a random text from you. I don't immediately go, "Oh God, what's it going to say?" <laughs> Anyways, what about you, Eric? I think I saw something that I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Maybe Vanessa might have seen or heard of. Hmm. Uh, Critical roles: The Legend of Vox Machina. I actually have not been following up with um, Critical Role, but. I know vaguely what it is. You know what Critical Role is. Yeah. Critical Role is a group of people four or five years ago started playing D&D on YouTube and became insanely popular doing it. Yeah. They had, uh, they've got, well, they now have a cartoon based on their campaigns. And yeah. it's fantastic. Oh, interesting. It is so goddamn good. Uh, it, you can see where... A D and D thing was set up. Of course, there's also characters that 
character classes. I'm not entirely certain who they are because, you know, I stopped playing somewhere around version two or three. It feels the most, there's a, been a lot of things put together, tried to be a D&D inspired book or movie or whatever. This one succeeds. Mm. Mom, D&D means Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> not, not anything else. <laughs> and it is, it is adult oriented, full of swearing and weird sex things from the Hobbit guy who is probably, I'm sorry, not a Hobbit, he's probably a halfling. Uh, in mm. D&D. Halfling bard who sings and sleeps with whoever he wants to. Um, the, it's the main talent was put together by people that do the Batman animated stuff. I mean, it's hmm. got massive, wow. massive talent behind it. Huh. And it's entertaining as all hell. Wow. <laughs> I'm, you know, I never would have thought that that kind of storytelling would take off in the way it has. But between that and then I know the guys who did My Brother, My Brother, and Me. They mm -hmm. also had a D&D &D podcast that got turned into a graphic novel series. And they oh, go, shit. like, on tour and, like, do, like, a D&D &D session in front yeah. of a live audience. And people just freaking love it. Yeah, they do that, too. I've seen photos of them at, like, uh, Emerald City kind of place yeah. with packed. If you went to the giant room of Emerald City, packed it with people, that's how many people were sitting there watching these seven or eight people play D&D. &D. So, crazy. so explain to me uh, what makes it so watchable. It's Is just it a, funny. Oh, it's funny and violent. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And just incredibly good writing. Great story. Great characters. These are characters these people have played for like four or five years. So the depth of character it walks in with is impressive. Huh. Uh, it's just really, really well done. And it's um it's actual Dungeons and Dragons, so this is a licensed thing. I don't think so. Oh, I'm not sure where the licensing comes in. I don't remember them specifically talking about that. I see. At okay. least not in the show. I mean, it's just a cart. It's just it's not like they're playing the game, and then you go see what happens. The show's a show. I see. If you knew nothing about Critical Role, you could watch the show and go, "This is fun fantasy weirdness." So you're not hearing the dungeon master no. tell them what's happening. And, and they're not like rolling and going, let's see whether or not I make it through this right, fight. Right, exactly. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. What's that on? Uh, Amazon Prime. Oh, I have that. Yeah, it's, it's fun, man. <laughs> I don't know, but it's new that. fantasy, so. <laughs> That's true, but it's also a cartoon. I find yeah. myself getting a little more lenient with cartoons, so. Animation by the wonderful studio with a strange name, Titmouse. Oh. oh. I love Titmouse yeah. because that's uh, all the horrible Adult Swim cartoons I love. Mm -hmm. Squidbillies and all of that. So you get a little more of the sensibilities of where this right. show comes from. <laughs> okay. I like it. I will check that out. Uh, something I am only about halfway through and I have been putting off. Uh-oh. Decided to start watching and now I'm just like, fuck, why did I schedule a podcast for today? <laughs> uh, all of us are dead. I have not seen this. I know what you're talking about, but... It's another Korean zombie series. Oh, my gosh. Nothing I was interested in yeah. until I heard, uh, I think Rebecca McKendry was like, mm. is anybody watching this? Because this is legitimately scary. I was like, hmm. Is this the one that um, they've got an ad where it's a bunch of students inside a classroom? It is a zombie outbreak, and it's focused in the high school that... Oh. 
these kids are trying to survive. And meanwhile, it's spreading out to the city and everything like that. But these, huh. it, the story focuses on these kids who are trying to get out of their school. Wow. And it is legit terrifying. Whoa. Oh, damn. It's okay. super intense. And I guess, I don't know what I was thinking because they're always, their zombie movies are super intense and scary. Yeah. Wow. And this has that creepy shit where their backs are bending and they're cracking as they're starting to change and everything. There's just something... The, the Korean zombies scare me more than any zombies. Oh, man. That sounds incredible. So I'm five That's episodes Netflix, in. Right? It's Netflix, yeah. Five episodes in, and uh, it's great. And it, it must be made uh, for Korean Netflix because it's not a, I mean, it's super gory. There's a ton of swearing, all of that stuff. So it's not a, a Korean television show. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, oh, okay. Really, really good, though. Nice. Huh. Wait, so it's a, a film? No, but I mean, it, it must be made for Korean Netflix oh, instead of, oh, you know, oh, uh, like aired somewhere. Right. Oh, okay. Got it. Right. Um, well, uh, just to piggyback off of that, I watched the last episode of The Silent Sea, which is another Korean joint. Yeah. You um, didn't science seem science. like you were loving it when you were talking about it. Still don't. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I made it through it. It has some cool ideas in there. Um, I think the CGI is actually really good and like the sets, the props, everything like that. But the storytelling is pretty bad. There's a lot of like explaining to the audience things and like, oh man, like this entire station is flooding, for example. We have to run. There is a tidal wave behind us. And then like somebody will get injured or whatever and they'll just bend down and be like, we love you, man. And like everybody like has their turn with them. And I'm like, there's a flood. Aren't they trapped on the moon? Where's the water coming from? That's that's the whole question of this entire oh, series. I see, I see. Never mind. Yeah. Did but just bring up a spoiler. Right no, here? not a spoiler at all. No, you oh. find out immediately. It, it takes place in a world in which um, Earth has basically run out of water. And the government has given like tokens for people to get set amounts of water all the time. And then there's something on the moon that people have to have a secret mission to go and get tap the moon water on the moon <laughs> dun, dun, dun. but isn't it great i mean so you didn't love this but I did not. how cool is it that uh netflix has become so big that they're porting over from germany netflix series oh God, or korea or china yeah. and well, not china but uh <laughs> How, how how lucky are we that we're getting all this do you I, think they're getting you know our american series over there? Um, anything that there is um, rights that they can get. I know from my friends in England and Ireland that they there is some stuff they are not getting, but yeah. then they get some stuff we don't get to. Like right. they got Ghibli because sure. HBO didn't have a a they thing with them. Uh, Studio Ghibli. Oh, Ghibli. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, but it is kind of funny because I was just talking about this yesterday. I was doing a catch up with a friend I haven't talked to in about two years so I was hanging out with um, him at PAX and I was talking about all this incredible Korean TV that I'm I'm going through on Netflix and how I fucking love it. And he actually stopped me. He's like, you can stop pandering. I mean, I know I'm Asian and you're trying to. <laughs> I was like, I'm not pandering to you. It's fucking good. He's like, Shang Chi wasn't that good. I was like, half of it was good. Which one? Shang Chi. Uh, oh, Marvel. He's right. Shang Chi was. Half of it was. Half, Half of, of it was, it was good. good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I was just like, no, genuinely, like the globalization. And I talked to him about how, you know, it all started with dark. I, I think. Surely. Uh, I don't know if that's I true. Know if it but started, but 
Yeah. yeah. That was a that big, was a big yeah. proponent of Netflix being like, hey, if we have something with subtitles and it's yeah. German and everyone will watch it and love it for some reason that we don't fully understand. Yeah. <laughs> and neither do the people watching the show, apparently. No. Past season one, at least. Hey, I, just, I made like, it through season two almost understanding what was happening. I mean, I seem until recently that would have been handled this way. Oh, this was a big hit in Korea. We will now remake it as an American series. Yeah, and yeah. I, I feel like we're not seeing that as much as we're just, go, you know, here. And when it is happening, it's almost embarrassing. It's yeah. like, really? Why? Like, why are you guys remaking this? It came out like last year. Is yeah. there a reason? Yeah. Speaking of confusing weird shows, I was starting, I don't know if it's the second, I think the second episode of Raised by Wolves. I realized I, I'm done with this show. Oh, I really? don't give a shit about these people. <laughs> so fucking weird. They they started off in such a different environment, and now boom! It's like when Battlestar Galactica jumped like 30 years oh, in the God. future, and, and they're one like season. on that planet. Yeah, and like, it's all shitty. Can yeah. we see how they got here? And this is still like, okay, so now she's a teacher. So and I was like, I, I just let's don't talk care. about this. You didn't finish the first. <laughs> no, season. I did not. But that. But, it, do you kind of remember how that last episode ended? I thought I did, but maybe I didn't. <laughs> they, they fly their ship through the planet, through the oh, center okay, of the planet, yes. and then there's all this weird shit happens, and then that snake thing becomes mm -hmm. like this gigantic snake thing, and I was like, surely this is a metaphor for the Garden of Eden or something like right. that. Mm -hmm. And then when this season starts, and I don't know if you've gotten to the point, that snake thing is around a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They found the snake skin and then all that other shit. And yeah. Like, oh, hmm, yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Oh, this wasn't a metaphor." <laughs> <laughs> now I'm really lost. <laughs> oh yep. my gosh. Yeah. I so just I watched the third episode and I thought it got better. If that's any mm. consolation, but I, I'm with you. It's a tough series to like. Yeah. Mm. I really wanted to because I thought the first season was well, it ended a little weird, but damn, it was so good for mm. so long and. I'm like, well, I kind of want to see the continuing story of these folks, but now I need to learn this whole new world. And they are they fitting in? She's no longer a warrior, but will she? I just don't care. <laughs> it was also one of those things where I thought at the beginning of this new season, I was like, oh, how many years in the future must we be? Yeah. And nope, we're right there at the end of the last episode, I guess. It's oh, just weird. the planet seems to have been terraformed without telling the rest of us. Yeah. Uh, oh. That sounds really weird. It's confusing. Yeah, huh. it is. <laughs> weird. It's so confusing that I need to take a break, clear okay. my mind. Good, good. Yeah. Because when we come back, <laughs> we will not need our minds. We will, it will not be a confusing episode at all. We'll need our dancing feet. <laughs> we are going to need our dancing feet. We will be right back. have returned eric this yes. is your solid far out and right on pick uh but could you please explain what happened between yes. what you picked last <laughs> week and what we are actually doing 
Yes, this originally kind of started out as just something with disco in it, whatever you want to do. And then through discussions over the last week, we decided, you know what? Let's make it a full disco movie. Let's uh, clear everything up and, and say what you mean when you say we decided. Uh, yeah, <laughs> let's clear that up, guys. What happened? Was it that maybe I didn't look at my phone for a few there hours? You go. <laughs> and then when I looked back, it was full disco? Because I think that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> I think that Eric and I had a... 40 message long text that you were part of, except you did not look at. And by the end of it, we had agreed that yes, it should be a full disco movie genre. The worst part is when you guys do that, I scroll back to the start of the Uh conversation and then I put in responses as I read because I don't want to have missed anything. And so in in real time, I'm going, oh, yeah, that was a cool thing. Oh, yeah, you guys are talking about this. That's cool. And then, wait a minute, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) Oh, no. Why? Disco. Why disco? Oh, God. So I begrudgingly agreed. Are you fully in the camp of disco sex? Um, No, not necessarily. It's just like, (laughs) overall, I don't love... I don't necessarily love dancing films or musicals. Like I had to watch a lot. As no a comedies, no comedy musicals. I know. I'm the worst. You hate life. I do. Except when it's being destroyed and <laughs> then I love it. Gone. When life means something. They can't all be moonfall, Vanessa. I know. <laughs> I know. But why? Anyways. Yeah. So yes, the my immediate thought and part of the reason I wanted like screw it, let's just go for it is. I wanted to talk about a movie that the soundtrack sat in the my car for 20 plus years, probably. Wow. In CD, cassette, and now, of course, on the uh, iTunes. And that is from the Village People movie from 1980, Can't Stop the Music. It's the musical extravaganza that launches the 80s. It's Alan Carr's Can't Stop the Music. You can't stop the music. Once you see it, you'll know why you can't stop the glamour. Do the shake, do the shake, do the shake. Stop the excitement. You can't stop the dancing. The laughter. But most of all, you can't stop the music. You can't stop the music. Can't stop Nobody the music. Starring. Music. 
Grimes, June Havoc, Barbara Rush, Out to East Davis, Marilyn Sokol, and a special appearance by the Ritchie family. Once it begins, you can't stop the music. Sounds of the 80s are composed and produced by Chuck Morelli. Watch for the exciting new Pinnacle Photo Book, an EMI film from AFD. Original soundtrack records and tapes available through Casablanca Records. This movie is yeah. not good. <laughs> However, <laughs> no, it is not. It is awesome as well. <laughs> it's both. Can't Stop the Music came out in 1980. The Rotten Tomato score has, from critics, a 7. <laughs> oh my god Seems generous from the audience a 37 whoa catch this the budget was 20 million oh my god that's insane this that's... was a huge push of a movie you had the village people you had steve gutenberg <laughs> <laughs> the biggest olympic steve. star of the time no you're talking about uh bruce jenner yeah bruce jenner at the time Oh, yeah. And box office of $2 million. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> it Oof. crashed and burned. This was directed by Nancy Walker, who came from TV shows Rhoda, Mary Tyler Moore, Alice. Uh, she also acted in 41 episodes of Ro Rhoda, The Love Boat, True Colors. Uh, written by Woodward, uh, Bront Woodward, who wrote Grease. And Grease Live, the recent TV version. He was sure. given credit. I don't know if he actually wrote anything. Uh, also, Alan Carr, who wrote Grease. And produced five Anne Margaret specials and 61 Academy Awards. Oh, my God. And you all know the high quality of entertainment those stage skits have on the Academy Awards. <laughs> oh, good Lord. The stars, the village people, who are uh, Ray Simpson, who's the policeman. David Hodo, who's a construction worker. Philippe Rose, who's the Indian, Randy Jones, the cowboy, Glenn Hughes, the leather man, and Alex Briley, the GI. I'm going to guess this is not uh, Judas Priest's Glenn Hughes or uh, uh, Deep Purple's Glenn Hughes. Um, you may have to explain to some of our listeners exactly who the village people were before you get into this. Uh, including me. I mean, I know the music and I know what they look like when they do stuff. Well, this movie is basically a how the village people came together in not very realistic terms. Okay. But the village people were a group of, what did I say, six or seven guys who came together in the mid-70s. They were sort of put together as a group by a producer, a writer of disco songs. And they performed in these characters, uh, various versions of the characters as they got bigger and they would get more elaborate with their costuming and stuff. But... They were huge. You know some of their movies. You know YMCA. You probably know Macho Man. You probably know In the Navy. There's plenty of their songs you've heard and are still played today. And they've actually, near as I can tell, never stopped touring. Wow. They have two or three tours this year. Oh, my God. <laughs> already booked. Holy Well, cow. gigs, not tours, but two or three live shows that they've already put out for later this year. Wow. It cannot be the original members. 
Some of them. I think ah. it's mo- actually I think it's most of them. Um, the the cowboy is the one that's changed the most. He's been I think three different people, but um, I enjoyed the village people a lot. But I didn't read their stuff. Like maybe I should read a bio on them, man. Like I did with Priest and Iron Maiden and all those. Throw the village people in there. Why bother when you've got this movie <laughs> to explain <laughs> how they documentary. came to be? Yes, this <laughs> Anyways, the uh, starring Beyond the Village People, you've got Valley Perrine, who you know from Superman 1 and 2, Lenny, Slaughterhouse-Five, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, Caitlin slash Bruce Jenner, been in 159 episodes of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. You know, there aren't a lot of shows that I'm proud of. I've never watched any of. I'm cool that I've never seen a single episode Same. of any Kardashian. Right there Same. with you. And seven episodes of Chips. <laughs> oh, as like a recurring character? Or? I think he was himself. Yeah, I was going to say as himself. He, he was, was himself not. seven times. Probably. <laughs> I mean, he was a huge star from the Olympics. That's in true. That time. Um, you know, Wheaties boxes and all that shit. Yeah, yeah. This was the only film he really did. He did like bit parts and things afterwards, but he never landed a lead role again, which surprises no one that has seen the film. And uh, Steve Gutenberg, star of Short Circuit, Three Men and a Baby. Police Academy movies uh, 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 yeah. has four films in production and 103 credits. He has four films in production I he right now. Yep. Really? This makes me happy. Yeah, Thanks, that's, Steve. That's With great. a great line from uh, a Simpsons, the song that the uh, when he was go- joining the cult, and their line is "We made Steve Gutenberg a star." <laughs> <laughs> so, or we made who made? But anyway, so this film opens. In the 70s, of course, so it's in a music store because that's where Steve Grunberg's the works. But he doesn't want to work there because he's got his first big gig to DJ at a disco to play his music. So he tells the man to screw off and quits right there and roller skates <laughs> out of the store. Oh my God. And then there's the opening credits of Gutenberg roller skating down New York streets and get Valley. Valerie shows up at one point and is interacting she's apparently a, the supermodel of the time who has just left modeling so she's looking for her new thing to do which apparently is you know help put together a disco band <laughs> every girl's dream <laughs> that's right so that is an excellent opening listen to the sound of the city <laughs> oh i know these songs so well people the, and this is full of great 70s crap like bad split screens Multiple three screens going on. He's dancing with his little handheld transistor radio held up to his ear. Nice. And yeah, top tier acting is seen throughout the entire film without a doubt. He's got a strange relationship with Valerie in that he was a house sitter who just stayed. Yeah. They're just friends. Uh huh. They're absolutely friends. No, no romantic involvement. Huh. It's like, okay. She even has a line later on where uh, Jenner loses his shit about her living with another guy. And she's like, this is the 80s. You're going to see a lot of things you've never seen before. <laughs> <laughs> she was right about that. That's true. <laughs> it's a very happy group of people. The first village people, the guy to show up is the Indian. He's kind of like her neighbor or something and just sneaks into her house and says, hey, how you doing? And they hang out for a while. New York's a very friendly city. Hmm. Not sure that was true in 1979. I know. I was going to say, the 70s, this is painting a whole new picture of New York for me. I I can see why they started with him as acting. Top notch. Um, 
And they, the first music, the next music thing is Samantha, which is a song that the guy who's living with her that isn't romantically involved wrote about her being incredibly hot. <laughs> oh, okay. Because Valerie's character's name is Samantha. Mm. The, the song is sung by David London, who uh, changed his name for the thing to Fergie Fedrickson because he didn't want to ruin his rock reputation oh as the goodness. lead singer of Toto's Isolation album. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. So there's a B story that goes through where after Valerie's quitting her modeling, her agent desperately wants her back and has this great milk campaign. This is actually foreshadowing. Oh. It leads to something in the movie. Oh. <laughs> milk. It's sponsored by Baskin Robbins and Dr. Pepper. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> See, there's one point where Valerie's walking down the street and they're trying to put together their band. Mm. And she just walks down the street and runs into... Uh, I think it's the construction guy, the um, Gia. I don't know. She runs in like three or four of the village people just wandering through the street. Go, hey, you want to audition to join our band? I assume the construction guy is like on a site or something wearing his hard hat. and He's actually a pro singer. Oh. And he's in his outfit. He's in the full construction outfit singing a different song. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not village people. Okay. Yeah. Shooting a music video. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> that is a strange choice of all the people in there. He was the lead singer, right? No. Oh. Uh, the um, cop was generally the lead singer, okay. and occasionally they, they would switch off, but the, the guy who was the policeman was the main I always singer. liked his voice, I gotta say. Yeah. A cool manly voice. Yep. And so, and while she's meeting everybody, she's walking around with an ice cream cone that continually changes flavors. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't know if that's because she was tired of it or Baskin Robbins just, we want to make sure people see we have different colors in our ice cream. <laughs> there's pink, there's blue. There, there are 31 <laughs> flavors, <That's right>. people. <laughs> and then then the, the construction guy is a, a song called I Love You to Death, where he's uh, doing a music video with women draping all over him, which, you know, if you know the village people's like... <laughs> It's type. Look, a, a bunch of confirmed bachelors, Vanessa. Yes, yes. No girl was going to chain them down. <laughs> That's right. Seventies bachelors. Uh, man, the... Manly men <laughs> above right. above the idea of a relationship. And Jenner enters the movie now and immediately gets robbed by a little old lady and a guy on a moped. <laughs> it's very weird. <laughs> How short are his shorts in this scene? This is he's wearing his full suit because he's still the tax guy he's still the 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 straight and narrow follows the book guy that he's not going to be later but oh yes he does change i remember (laughs) and uh heavy 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 great humor of we need to delay the agent getting to the tryouts her milk agent getting to the tryouts of the village people trying his first song so she has to get stuck in a phone booth gets her fingernail stuck in the rotary dial and then the doors lock. And she, it looks like she's there by light change, like hours. Oh my God. <laughs> so it's like, wow. Okay. That's, that's good writing. <laughs> yeah. The movie's also full of all kinds of casual races. What? 1980. That doesn't sound right. The Indian guy. <laughs> Native American. This character called Indian. Is he actually, I'm assuming it's a white I have dude. no idea. Oh, they're all guys. No, no, no. I mean, like a white guy playing the... I'm not in, sure. 
Native American? Oh. He has skin tone. I don't know his nationality. Oh, okay. Just curious. So you've got great lines like this. Housework is like bad sex. Every time I do it, I swear I'll never do it again. Until the next time company comes. <laughs> oh, my God. I kind of like that one. I'll be using that one. <laughs> Jesus. Samantha's reply. Oh, tacky. <laughs> um, let's see. The intro to the cop is a little weird because they bring him in and he's actually a police officer in the movie. So Bruce is trying to get him to take his, or Jenner's trying to get him to take his statement about being mugged and, and he's trying to sing. It's clumsy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, so they come together, they sing Magic Night in the back. This time I think it's just three so far. The construction guy, the Indian, and the cop, I don't know, four, and uh, the cowboy are there, I believe, at that point. And uh, they, so they're still waiting for Leatherman and the GI. Mm. important additions and Steve Gutenberg cannot dance <laughs> at least Jenner is aware he could not dance so he just sort of stands there and kind of moves slightly to the beat but Gutenberg was trying oh no <laughs> it's it's rough man oh no <laughs> Jenner leaves because he has very uncomfortable because of the these strange characters of these village people oh really <laughs> <But> yeah <laughs> Valerie's kind of the lead in this movie. She's the one who's trying to get the bands together and trying to do all this stuff. So she really does a lot of the, she's in most of the movie. Um, the auditions are, I want to know how, what the ad they wrote for the audition was, because they're auditioning for two more singers. And any act you can imagine shows up for this thing. This guy <laughs> juggling show. fires, a, a guy who sings some weird song and then tears off most of his clothes. And Blackie Lawless. What? <laughs> I'm like, there's some big metal guy standing on, well, not big, but a metal guy standing on a desk breaking show going, fuck, that looks like Blackie Lawless. So I looked it up and it was. It was actually Blackie Lawless? <laughs> yep. <laughs> he, he would be a big metal dude. He'd yeah. Six, six or something. Yeah. New York Dolls. And then he was also, was prevalent in that area and then Wasps. So he fit that look. How funny. So that audition leads to the um, Leatherman shows up for that one, and the GI does as well. The Leather guy sings a Oh Danny Boy oh my <laughs> as gosh. his audition, which is good. But I'm like, your brother's version is better. <laughs> I was oh. going around. Kelly's brother is definitely a better singer <laughs> than this dude, but he's got a great tone in his voice, so that's why he's good in a group. I see. Uh, the... So that is, they're all together, I believe, by now. I think the GI is also enters the scene at this point. These details are not important. Uh, <laughs> I even forgot there was a GI in the band. Yeah, yeah the military <laughs> he, guy. Huh, okay. Is he like a sailor? No, he's a, he, he's usually in fatigues, greens. Oh, oh weird. Except when they go for their crazy colored outfits. Oh. Pinks and blues. Uh, the YMCA segment of this film. Oh my God. Holy shit. Like when I was a village people fan as a kid, the concept of gay people wasn't anything I knew about. You know, it's not nowadays where everything's on the internet. You can learn about whatever you want to learn about. The YMCA is gay erotica. Uh, all the guys, all the guys, super, super tiny, tight shorts, often no shirts. They walk through the um, locker room and all the guys are, Basically not wearing any clothes, you know, they still got some little bit of stuff on. Valerie leading the way with her macho woman t-shirt. Oh my God. <laughs> Young man, you can set yourself free. 
That's right. <laughs> uh, and then this is, keep in mind, this is a PG movie. So they're, they're mostly dancing, you know, but then there's the shower scene. There's probably a dozen big buff dudes completely nude. Oh. And you know they are completely nude. <laughs> I was oh like, God. huh, I didn't know you could show that in a PG movie. <laughs> it's a good 12, 13 second scene. It's not very long, but there's some dancing. I didn't dancing think scene. seconds was how you were going to follow that 12 or 13. <laughs> <laughs> there could be. And then Valerie's in a hot tub, bouncing up and down with no shirt on. <laughs> she was Miss Tessbacher in the Superman movies, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to have to watch this movie again. <laughs> oh so somehow this is a PG film. Ha- I was like, wow. Wow. All right. <laughs> Maybe the, the MPA was just like, Oh, well, I fell asleep there for a second. <laughs> this they, movie's still on PG. Nobody, Next. <laughs> nobody's going to see this. Roller film. skating. <laughs> Obviously a kid's movie. Oh, lots of slow motion, too, in the tiny little shorts as they dance and joke around. It's, it's, it's quite the representation of the movie. It is a good wow. video for that song. <laughs> Jeez. Single-handedly set gay rights back 50 years. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Followed immediately by the song Liberation. It's time for liberation right now. Liberation. It's time for liberation right now, right now, right now. <laughs> uh, the, and then the strangest song in the movie. This is a throwback to the milk ad. They're trying to figure out how they can be big. How, how can we get ourselves out there? They do a, mil- a milk commercial to the song Milkshake. Wow. Do the shake, baby. <laughs> do the milkshake, the milkshake, do the shake. Vanilla. <laughs> Chocolate. Oh my God. <laughs> Strawberry please, too. Please keep reading lyrics. <laughs> I'm not reading I them. Know, I know these lyrics. Spouting these lyrics. I don't think I've ever seen you this happy. In I life. know. It is. It's actually uncomfortable. <laughs> Put your clothes back on. Woohoo. YMCA. Uh, so, and then they, they travel to San Francisco for their big break. I'll just leave that there. The opener for their show is a group called the Ritchie Family. Uh, American vocal group based out of Philadelphia that had several hits in the disco era. I looked them up and they didn't, I didn't listen to the songs for sure, but they did have at least one number one hit. Wow. Hmm. Okay. One upping Judas priest for their final performance. Not one, but two guys drive in on motorcycles. Nice. Nice. Hmm. Uh, the cop and the leather guy makes drive sense. On a motorcycle and the construction guy comes in on a large driving lawnmower. <laughs> <laughs> and this, is, this is obviously a true live performance of village people done for the movie okay because and they're in elaborate costumes they're in their peak of we got a lot of money to spend so our costumes uh. are matching what we wore but they're now incredibly sparkly and colorful and then they pull back and see the audience and you see a whole bunch of people wearing hard hats and uh. top hats <laughs> and all this stuff going oh, okay this is this is a uh YMCA performance for real. And uh, the final song, of course, is You Can't Stop the Music. Mm-hmm. Nobody can stop the music. I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Vanessa. I'm just here too. <laughs> Notes and trivia. <laughs> Why? Because talking about what happens in this movie is pointless. <laughs> uh, the film, this film, along with Xanadu, okay. was watched by John Wilson in a 99-cent double bill 
and upon which the ending, he created the Golden Raspberry Awards. Whoa. <laughs> That's beautiful. Xanadu and Can't Stop the Music created the Razzies. Wow. In 1980, it won the first ever Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Movie and Worst Script. <laughs> sure. Although it is listed in some, I forgot the name of the big company, but big list of the most entertaining crappy movies yeah. you can watch. This is on that list. <laughs> oh, there it is. Most 100 most enjoyable bad movies in the official Razzie's movie guide. So nice. the, he gave it the worst movie, but then called it, this is actually pretty friggin' entertaining. The lead, the director, Nancy Walker and Valerie, who you remember I said was kind of the lead of the movie. Yeah. Did not get along to such an extent that somebody else had to direct the scene she was in. Wow. Oh. So uh, director of photography, Bill Butler, directed the scenes that she was directly in, which is like almost all of them. Oh, my God. So that must have been a pain in the ass. Location shooting in New York was somewhat complicated by uh, gay activists protesting, mistakenly thinking they were protesting cruising, oh, no. which, which was being Jeez. shot at the same time. Oh, my God. And so they, they quickly realized and went to the right location. Oh, my God. <laughs> the guy's on roller skates. Come on, man. <laughs> um, the lead was originally offered to Olivia Newton John, who turned it down to do. Xanadu. 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 <laughs> mm -hmm. Dodge that bullet, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Baskin Robbins put out a flamer of the month to tie in with a movie called Can't Stop the Nuts. Aw. <laughs> Saucy. <laughs> Classy. Yeah. Jesus. So, like I said, they're all over the movie. But uh, the milkshake song and dance sequence took two weeks of rehearsal, five days of shooting, and 57 camera positions. And the uh, the final film was they had over two thousand people there, which made me realize you know this is probably a just a, a concert that they filmed at. The Dave Hodo explains the characters were created in the seventies to depict stereotypes of gay fantasies of the time, and the village of the group is refers to Greenwich Village. Oh, yeah. okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and. On July 12th, 1979, there was the famous Disco Demolition Night, where I think it was, I know the biggest one, I believe, was in Chicago at a Cubs game or something yeah, like that, yeah. where they literally broke and burned thousands of disco albums on the field. <laughs> kind of yeah. got a little out of hand. Happened less than two weeks before principal photography of this started. So it's like, you guys are starting to film a disco movie. And yeah. $2 million at the box office might be kind of impressive now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, ABC for the TV screening edited 21 minutes out of the movie, and including the entire I Love You to Death number to fit the time slot <laughs> for its 84 premiere on t television. I'm sure nobody noticed anything in the story. <laughs> was no. missing. This makes as much sense as the theatrical version. I mean, my, my big question is, um, so the guy who was living with the girl who was crushing on the girl. Steve Gutenberg. And, and had written this song about her, Steve yes. Gutenberg. Did he get the girl in the end? Oh, no. They spent the whole, no. Jenner and her are the uh, re emotional relationship. Oh. And. Uh, including. He's so friend-zoned, like he became a roommate. There's really no. <laughs> for whoever wrote the song, I don't think read the movie. They just say, hey, write a song for this name, Samantha. Because it, 
doesn't coincide with anything that happens. There is not even okay. a hint or a moment between either of those characters to okay. imply that there was ever any interest between the two of them. Okay. But she does end up with Jenner. Jenner, yes. Okay. Who does later on. He loosens up quite a bit. In super, super tight shorts and a half shirt. Yeah, he's wearing a crop <laughs> shirt and uh, uh, like Daisy Dukes. Is he wearing yeah. less They're just than long is? enough. If they were any shorter, the head of his cock would be hanging <laughs> out. God. Oh. Oh. <laughs> See the movie you could have seen? I, it's true. So entertaining. I mean, look, you selected this immediately. There was no way I was going to see this film. Yeah, this it was, was off the table. Eric really did. When he was like, I'm doing this movie. <laughs> oh, okay. It's not like any of us were lobbying for that movie, dude. <laughs> all yours. All yours. Oh, you um, want to bring the room down a little bit now? Oh my God. I feel awful. <laughs> I feel really awful about it. Well, okay. Um, Look, I haven't seen pretty much any disco movies at all. Uh, the disco movies I have seen include Prom Night and Terror Train because there are scenes of disco, sure. elongated scenes of disco, <laughs> uncomfortable scenes of disco. Um, so I was like, you know what I have not seen? Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> told me I was good in my life. Two, two, twice. This race today and dance and dance at the disco. Well, I mean, I could dance with you, but, you know, you're not my dream girl or nothing like that. Are you as good in bed as you are on that dance floor? Those are all you make with some of these chicks. They think you gotta dance with them. Very good, yeah. He's the best. Hey, man, he's crazy. He's the king out there. John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. She can dance, you know that? She's got the wrong partner, of course, but she, she can dance. Okay, listen. I like it. We could dance together. That's it. We could just dance together and uh, nothing more, nothing personal.
I've heard of that one. Yeah. 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 I, that was one I was like, you know what? If I'm going to do this thing with you guys, I should at least see the most popular famous disco movie of all time. Yeah, I can see that. So uh, this came out in 1977. Uh, it's got a Rotten Tomato score of 82% from critics and 71% from audience. So pretty, pretty beloved. Yeah. Um, the budget was less than yours, Eric. It was $3.5 million. Oh. The box office was much more than yours, Eric. It was $237 million. Oh, damn. It did freaky, freaky good. Um, it was directed by John Batham. Uh, he has 66 credits, including War Games, Short Circuit, Bird on a Wire, and 1979, uh, Dracula starring Frank Longella. Langella. Thank you. And uh, currently, he's back to directing um, a lot of TV stuff. So nine episodes of Supernatural and all that kind of stuff. Um, written by Nick Cohn, uh, which was actually, it was based on this, uh, the article, Tribal Rights of the New Saturday Night. Um, he had written it for the New York Magazine. He was actually a UK rock journalist who um, was new to New York City. And on its 20th anniversary, he had admitted it was a fiction. <laughs> And had completely made up the entire article. Oh, is that true? Wow, I didn't know that. I knew everything else. Interesting. Yep. Um, And he said he felt like the editors should know because of how outlandish the story was that he was bullshitting. But at that point, they were just used to pushing stuff out anytime it was a good story. So (laughs) it got published. Uh, The screenplay was by Norman Wexler who did um, Serpico, Saturday Night Fever, obviously, uh, Staying Alive, and Raw Deal. He was bipolar and was suffering from depression. And in 1972, he was arrested by the FBI for saying he was planning on shooting the then-President Nixon. Um, He's an accomplished playwright and script doctor. This movie is starring... um, I'm just going to mention kind of the two main three main stars in this because there's a lot of people. He has a lot of friends, uh, this main character. Uh, John Travolta as Tony. He's been in 86 things. I know him as Danny in The Devil's Reign or Billy <laughs> Nolan in Carrie. He's in some Olivia Newton uh, John music videos and played himself in Boris and Natasha's TV special. A oh, big hit geez. phenomena followed right up by Michael. Eventually landed Battlefield Earth. And most recently, did another music video for Pitbull 3 to Tango, and he did a Capital One Christmas ad. So, John Travolta. Um, <laughs> Karen, obviously, obviously not. You, if you guys know who he is, you can, if you don't know, look him up. Uh, <laughs> Karen Lynn Gorney is Stephanie. Um, she's been in 42 things, including All My Children. Um, and then she did this film, and then nothing until the 90s. Um, even though she was the lead and became very, very famous after. Um, since then, she's taken a small role probably every five or six years. Um, recently, she played an old lady in Clifford the Big Red Dog. Uh, Martin Shaker, I recognized. He plays um, the priest brother in this. He's been in 36 things. But I know him from The Children as the lead in The Children. Oh, really? It's very exciting. Which <laughs> I believe I've talked about on the show before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, the only, the only other kind of name that I think is worth talking about, Donna Pesco as Annette. Um, she's kind of the girl who has a crush on the guy who does not have a crush back on her. She's been in 45 things, including 36 episodes of Angie. She's been in The Love Boat, 
out of this world. <laughs> she was in 96 episodes, and she was the mom on Even Stevens. Uh, recently, she has a recurring role in The Flash. There are a lot of a lot of people in this. In fact, this was the first film um, for quite a few people, um, including um, Fran Drescher. You also see in here Sam Coppola, Robert Costanza, Adrian King, Paul Pope, and Anne and Helen Travolta are both in this movie as kind of um, fun kind of walk-on roles, uh, which is the story. Uh, cool. Okay, you guys <laughs> talked about how happy disco movies were. And I've only, I watched the trailer. It seemed extremely happy. I mean, it was dark in color. Tony Monero is a 19-year-old Italian-American from the Bay Ridge neighborhood of Brooklyn, New York. He lives with his parents, grandmother, and younger sister and works at a small hardware store. On the weekends, Tony goes to 2001 Odyssey, a local discotheque, where he can escape the mundanity of his job and uh, low-class status in his life. There, he is the king of the dance floor, where women love him and men want to be him. Uh, Tony has four close Italian-American friends from the neighborhood, Joey, Double J, Gus, and Bobby C., they frequently drive around together and pretend to jump off bridges. Um, a fringe member of the friend group is Annette, a neighborhood girl who is infatuated with Tony. However, he is not into her, not even a little. And he pushes her off and makes fun of her all the time. It's actually kind of like uncomfortable. Tony is looking for a way to climb out of his life and his status. Um, and he sees there's a chance to win $500 in a dance contest, which is coming up. He agrees to dance with Annette, who he has danced with in contests before. However, she wants way more, and he quickly gets sick of her, including when they're having sex, and uh, she says that she's not on birth control, and he's like, you're trying to trap me into <laughs> having a baby oh with you. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I mean, it's okay to have sex with people you're not that into, though. I just want to make that very clear, because this film really makes that clear. Uh, lucky for, for him, Stephanie arrives on the, screen, on the scene. Stephanie shows up at the Odyssey. She's the best dancer he's ever seen. When a terrible song con comes on, he goes to complain about it to the DJ, who uh, kind of nods over to Stephanie and says, she's dancing to it. And he realizes she can dance to anything. <laughs> uh, Tony follows Stephanie and asks her to dance with him. Um, she, she really looks down at him, even though she's from the same neighborhood. Um, she's doing her best to also climb the ladder and get out of the neighborhood as best she can. She's working for a talent agency and she just talks all the time about all these famous people she's hanging out with and how stupid and immature Tony is. But <laughs> Tony does not let up <laughs> and he sees through her defenses uh, and says it's all an act to her face. Uh, it turns out that they're both kind of weird and they get along pretty well in between insulting each other. She agrees to dance with him and they start practicing. So Tony has to tell Annette who breaks down and is furious and ends up later doing a lot of drugs. Um, meanwhile, Tony's perfect Catholic priest brother comes home. He um, announces he's leaving the priesthood and his family is super embarrassed and ashamed um, as he is the pride and joy of this, you know, uh, low class family. And also because Tony is supposed to be the screw up. So Tony's like, oh, hey, I'm not the worst out of this whole family. Um, he tells Tony that he felt pressured into this life. And that is why um, Tony needs to follow his talent and keep on dancing. One of Tony's friends is beat up by a gang and ends up in the hospital. So uh, his friends are determined to get revenge. 
He says it was by a Puerto Rican game, a gang called the Barracudas. Another friend gets a girl pregnant and is hoping she'll get an abortion. Otherwise, he has to marry her and he doesn't really like her. Um, it all comes to a head as pressures, stresses, hopes, and dreams of Tony and his friends and family become dashed. Um, Tony still thinks he can rise above it until the dance contest. Three teams compete. Seems like a very s- small amount. Um, <laughs> Starting with um, a black team who's, they are so fucking good. This like couple, they're so good. I was like, you guys are not going to win against this couple, but apparently nobody thinks they're good and like boo them off. And I was like, okay, well, they were actually very good, but all right. And then Tony and uh, Stephanie dance and it's really weird. It's probably the worst dancing in the whole film, frankly. (laughs) And they keep going into slow-mo and there's, let's say, a light you know, blurs and I don't know. And then they make out and I'm like, you can't just be making out in the middle of your <laughs> dance contest. This is not a good part of the act. You really slowed the, like they stopped dancing to kiss. I'm like, this is really going to lose your points, guys. And then after uh, them, a Puerto Rican couple dance um, and Tony realizes that they are significantly better than him and Stephanie. And the whole time he's like, no, they're better. They're better. And his uh, friends say some uh, racial slurs about them. And um, then he gets surprised. They win, which, you know, in most movies is a good thing. But for <laughs> Tony, he's pissed because he realizes that they're pandering and that they're just going to do the safe thing and give it to the white couple. So he gives oh the prize to the <laughs> Puerto Ricans and storms out. Um, yeah. So <laughs> Stephanie follows, and I guess he tries to rape her. That's fun. Then she leaves uh, and does not get raped. So that's good. Uh, Then he's in a car with Annette and his uh, male friends. um, And they do rape her uh, gang style. It was very fun. Except for Tony. He does not. He just tells her she's getting what she deserves. Um, Yeah. Really solid work there. She then tries to kill herself, but she doesn't succeed. But someone else does um, because everyone's depressed and their lives suck. And finally, Tony finds himself on a train to downtown. He apologizes to Stephanie. She asks if they can be friends, and he says he'll try. So that's that movie. Um, it, it is It is a pretty depressing movie. It's a <laughs> fucking bleak movie. With some bleak. amazing music. You know what? Okay. The bad things. Let's do bad and then good, because usually I do it opposite, and I want to end on a slightly higher note. <laughs> <sighs> The bad, the attempted rape, not fun. The gang, <laughs> the gang bang, really uncomfortable. Racial slurs everywhere, all the way through this. Constant racial slurs, really gross. Um, final dance, as I said, sucked. Um, and the desperate girl who's obsessed with him. In fact, every girl is obsessed with him in a really embarrassing, weird way. It's John Travolta, man. You watched him walk down that street carrying that can of paint. He sure, he sure did. <laughs> he sure did walk down a street and take his sweet time getting back to his job. Um, the good. The Bee Gees music is very fun. It definitely is like the heart and soul of this entire thing. Travolta, uh, Travolta's dancing, especially when he's like, screw you girls. And he pushes them off because he's like, you're not a good enough dancer. I'm just going to dance by myself. <laughs> he's incredible. He's such a good dancer. Like, does not have a double doing it. So, so good. Um, the clothes are interesting. I'd say 50-50 uh, between fun and 
horrible. <laughs> he has a shirt he really wants to buy at the beginning. This is his blue shirt and he wants to put a down payment on it and everything. And then he wears it later and it has like a triangle that's see-through over his belly button. And I'm like, this is gross. <laughs> this is a stupid shirt. That's why the women like it. Apparently, he's really shown off that hole where his umbilical cord was stuck as a infant. Anyway, whatever. I guess that's hot for someone. Um, really diverse characters that are super well fleshed, fleshed out. Um, the social discussion of class rising out of situations is really, really interesting. Everyone's kind of dealing with it from a different angle, which I thought was very, very cool. Uh and the ending, I actually didn't mind because he's, it, it doesn't end with them making out. It doesn't end with him getting the girl. It ends with him saying, okay, I'm going to try to be like a better person and not try to just get in your pants. <sighs> so yeah, um, trivia. There's actually a fair <laughs> amount of trivia on this. Sure, um, sure. Shockingly, absolutely shockingly for <laughs> one of the most popular films of the time. Taglines include catch it. <laughs> Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Come Fever. on, that makes sense. Catch it. Uh, where do you go when the record is over? Huh. Don't understand how that works. John Travolta. If you're not sure you know him uh, now after Saturday Night Fever, you'll say you always did. <laughs> clunky, guys. Clunky as fuck. That one is pretty clunky. It's really bad. Um, there's another very similar one to that one, which is obviously also clunky. The best one is definitely, he is Tony Monero, king of the discos. Every guy wants to dance like him. Every girl wants to be with him. That's probably the best one they've got going for them. Um, I think they came up with that after it came out. Uh, this was an R, there was an R version of this uh, film when it went out on release. And while it was in theaters, they turned it into a PG by cutting six minutes out because the album for it took off so hard that they decided they need to release it to a larger audience. It's pretty incredible. It's wild. It's so wild. It's crazy. Um, according to Travolta, the Bee Gees weren't involved in the film from the start. Um, he was originally dancing to Stevie Wonder and uh, Boz Skaggs. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> John Travolta ran two miles a day and danced for three hours daily to get, get into this shape for the film. He ended up dropping about 20 pounds. Um, he'd worked really, really hard on the You Should Be Dancing sequence and threatened to quit the film when the studio suggested it should be shot in close-up instead of full body. <laughs> he complained about um, some of the cuts of not showing off full body dancing to the director um, in post-production who agreed and told him, yeah, go ahead and sit with the editor and make sure it's cut correctly, which he did. Holy shit. Wow. Yep. <laughs> Pretty great. Uh, John Travolta used two, two suits in the climax of this film. He had to switch suits between takes because one would become heavily so soaked in sweat and had to be dried out while he was wearing the other one for subsequent takes. Uh, this was one of the first films to use Steadicam. Uh, they had to put out fake call sheets and um, issued like false information about where they were shooting and when because uh, Travolta was <laughs> gaining so many fans that crowds would form outside of shooting sites. This is because he was popular from the ABC sitcom, Welcome Back, Cotter. Uh, most of it had to be shot <laughs> really Spoken early. like somebody who probably hasn't watched an episode of it. That I've never, great. ever Welcome seen back. it. <laughs> she would have been horrified at the word sweat hogs. There you go, yeah. Oh. That's gross. <laughs> you sound a lot like the principal in Welcome Back, Cotter. Just say that. You know that um, pigs don't sweat, right? 
I don't know what that has to do with. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, She wants realism in her nicknames for groups of people. (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) What does it mean? Is that a derogatory slur? Hey, listen. Up your nose with a rubber hose. (laughs) I don't don't like this era. Just sit on it, Vanessa. (laughs) Sit on what? The chair? (laughs) My hands? You're supposed to sit on the, the for guys is it sitting on their dick? What does it mean? <laughs> sit on what? Please continue. Okay. Um, this is the kind of sad thing, but really touching. And I I felt like my heart grew three sizes for John Travolta. The filming had to be briefly halted when Travolta's girlfriend, Diana Haland, died of cancer. She actually died in his arms. <laughs> yeah. Uh, posthumously, she won and received an Emmy for her performance with him in The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. Travolta actually accepted the award on her be- behalf. So she was the one who had encouraged him to take this role. The filming was almost interrupted when a local mafia group tried to extort protection money from the crew. In fact, the nightclub where the film was shot was hit with a small firebomb. And also a group of Hasidic Jews uh, who were against the crew filming in their neighborhood neighborhood tried to disrupt filming and even tried to turn over one of the cars um, that was being used in the production. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. John Travolta um, thought that this was a nostalgia slash retro spoof movie about the disco craze. He and his friends uh, were pretty sure that it went from 74 to 76 and it was over. So uh, he was even more surprised when this movie came out and literally reignited the craze, uh, starting it all over again. Uh, Karen Lynn Gorney spoke up about her lack of film roles. She played Stephanie after this movie. Um, They didn't know what to do with me. I was ahead of my time and they didn't know where to put me. After this film, she became a dance teacher at JoJo's Dance Factory in New York City. She had a rich music career. She did some painting. Um, And it's really, really weird to see pictures of her now on the internet because she is like a little old lady and it's really bizarre. Uh, the white polyester suit worn by John Travolta sold at auction for $145,000 and it was purchased by movie critic Gene Siskel. Siskel often said that this was his favorite film and that he had watched it 17 times. The soundtrack sold over 20 million copies and was the top-selling album in history until topped by Thriller six years later. And um, last but not least, John Travolta is now bald, which I also did not know until I was on the internet. Yep. That's my movie. I uh, I unironically love the Bee Gees, and I was listening mm. to an interview with John Badham. I think he also directed Karate Kid. Mm. Sounds sounds right. And they were asking him questions about uh, getting the Bee Gees involved, and he got uh, a tape from them with like three songs on it, and then he was like, "Oh my God, these guys have to do the soundtrack for this mm. film." Mm. So he got the the entire soundtrack and he sent that in and he was telling the, you know, whoever this was universal or whatever, you guys have a soundtrack with three number one hits on it. I guarantee you, you need to do this. And they were like kind of fighting him on it. And he said, you know what? I was wrong. We had five number one hits. On it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was an insanely. Sick- I love the Bee Gees. Wow. The, one thing I'll point out that, uh, missed with the iconic nature of this film. Yeah. That there is a dance move from this movie. That everyone knows. Anyone who's ever seen anybody goofily dance or anybody dance in a sporting event, they've all done it. They might be 90. They might be nine. They all do it. 
Is literally the, the image point? on the poster. Yeah. And almost <laughs> nobody knows. I'm pretty sure the nine-year-old hadn't seen the movie yet. Sure. No. So it, it seeped. It, it was so huge yeah. that it became part of our culture. You know what's crazy about that poster? Um, that uh, came out of a totally random, they'd been shooting like the whole day and they were getting like just photo stills for, uh, you know, shipping it around and posters and whatever. But um, they were like, hey, John, is there anything uh, else you want to try out here before we um, call it a day? And he just threw like five or six different like images down. And that was one of them. And later when the poster came out, he was like, I am, I did not expect them to go with that at all. Like, that was just <laughs> such a random thing he decided to do. Uh, before you begin, oh, I, yes. I did important research I should have done beforehand. The Philippe Rose, who plays the Indian in Village People, mm. uh, claims Lakota or Tino descendant, but he's also at times says he has Apache. First. Mm. Uh, he does have a Puerto Rican mother. Huh. So who knows? Okay. I'm glad I was able to fully answer the question. I appreciate it a lot, actually. <laughs> that was something I was very wondering. Very That's what I am. Mom Lakota? just perked up her ears when she heard nice. Lakota. Lakota. I'm 164th Cherokee. So. Everybody's 164th I Cherokee, know. Vanessa. I know. It hurts. <laughs> I can't say it and it, it doesn't mean anything. So in that text thread that you were not a part of, Vanessa, Eric and I kept going back <laughs> forth and I was like, I know exactly what movie I'm going to do. In fact, I watched it while I was sick for the first time. Mm. And then I watched it again. I liked it so much. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, thank God it's Friday. Hello, you're on the air. Hello? Hello? Am I on? You're on. What would you like to talk about? What everybody's talking about. Thank God it's Friday. Friday. Thank God it's Friday. It's Friday, the movie that shows how truly splendid man can be when he's free and natural. Give me a dime, will you? We are out for action tonight. God, it's 34. <laughs> and, and you're 37. Isn't that amazing? Something about that Idaho water. Thank God it's Friday. Go home. Since you're drunk, I'll take advantage of you. And run the elevator, not one or the other. Hey, baby, you want to dance? Oh. A simple no would have sufficed. I'm Mark Gomez. Guys? I'm Mark Gomez. Surely? Didn't you come here looking for some action?
1978, budget of $2.2 million, box office of $7.3 million. The Rotten Tomatoes critics have it at 30%, and the audience has it at 37%. This is one of those movies that um, the people involved went on to much better things. So, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. this was directed by Robert Klein, who directed one other movie, um, the second Weekend at Bernie's film. But he is more better known as the writer of European Vacation, both the we- Weekend at Bernie's movies, and the man with one red shoe, uh, a lot of um, a lot of comedies from the eighties. Mm. Uh, it was written by him and Armian Bernstein, who is better known as a producer now, and he produced uh, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, uh, Children of Men, Let's Go to Prison. He's the executive producer on the Castle TV series. Mm. This has a uh, a cast of thousands. I'm just going to list a couple of them: Jeff Goldblum. 139 credits, including Earth Girls Are Easy, Vibes, Transylvania 65,000, and is a goddamn national treasure. I think we can all agree. <laughs> Damn right. Mark Lonow, who just did tons and tons of 70s and 80s television, and Andrea Howard, who was in The Nude Bomb, Pink Motel, and Policewoman Centerfold. Cool. This <laughs> also stars Donna Summers. Donna Summer, sorry. The Commodores, Otis Day, Valerie Landsberg, Terry Nunn, who would go on to become the singer of the band Berlin, and a very, very young Deborah Winger. This is her first film. So this this movie starts off with the Columbia Pictures logo, the woman holding the torch and everything, Mm -hmm. only it's animated. So as the music starts, she starts (laughs) boogieing. Oh my God. It's pretty fucking great. Good times ahead. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) What is she holding? She's holding a flag, I think. I don't know. Um, so this is one of those night in the life movies. It's got a cast that's just, you know, of thousands and they all start circling each other and then they end up, you know, kind of interacting with each other. So I'll just kind of give you the basics here. Uh, Jeff Goldblum is the owner of the zoo, which is this, uh, this really cool discotheque in, I'm not sure where they're supposed to be LA, I think. Mm. Uh, first of all, uh, Vanessa, I know you've never seen this. Eric, have you seen this? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw it, but like we're talking not too long after it came out. So it's oh, been a while. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, uh, Jeff Goldblum is, uh, one of the main characters. He is not a good person. He's a complete, um, womanizer. He pulls in to the parking spot at the zoo in his brand new red Porsche with the license plate that says, big one on it and then he <laughs> proceeds to cover the porsche with a car cover oh shit oh, there you go that says a so, lot about a man and and then there is a long-running gag throughout the movie um so then uh let's see his disc jockey is a guy named bobby speed who is his storyline is he is broadcasting his very first live show from the club and it's going out live on a radio station so he's got to do good and he has promised the radio station that he's got the commodores coming to play live <laughs> at this place franny and Jeannie are two high school friends who want to win the zoo's dance contest and the big thing, Eric, you're going to love this. They're wow. like, we have to get in there because with that money, we can buy tickets to the Kiss concert. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, what what year was this again? This is 78. Oh, so, so they would have been... Disco era. <laughs> yeah, they would have been doing the, uh, the uh, Dynasty album, <laughs> which had I Was Made for Loving You on it. Um, 
Carl and Ken are two best friends who frequent the zoo. Carl is the um, the nerdy friend <laughs> who's who's got he's he's got the big thick glasses and everything, but he thinks he's cool. He knows how he, how to talk to women and everything, right? Oh. And then um, Ken is the nice guy who dresses pretty normal, and what he really wants is to meet a nice girl and actually have a relationship. Uh, Dave and Sue, who are the uh, Mark Lonow and Andrea Howard I listed, they are kind of the main story. Um, they are a young married couple. They're celebrating their fifth wedding anniversary. And after um, <laughs> after dinner, they see a line across the way at the zoo. And she's like, let's go dancing. Let's do something. And he's very, um, you know, it's already 10 o'clock. We should go home. Meanwhile, he's given her a gigantic pepper grinder as a gift. <laughs> I, sh- I meant to look this up. Is the fifth anniversary wood or something? <laughs> because I could have think of a better gift. Oh, oh. oh um, And then Nicole Sims, who is Donna Summer, she is an aspiring disco singer, hoping to make her debut at the zoo, but she has no plan on how to do this. So, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Malcolm Floyd, who is my favorite character in this, uh, he is the roadie for the Commodores. And he is trying to get their instruments to them in time. He's driving a big van full of their instruments. The Commodores are going to show up and uh, they don't have any instruments, right? So, yeah. So Sue insists that uh, her husband take, that's that's sarcastic characters, right? So Sue insists that her husband take uh, her to the disco and he's like, oh God. And so they get in line. Everybody starts showing up at the same time, getting into this big line and we're hearing their stories and everything. And when when they get to the uh, when they get to the door, they are let in, and the guy uh, says uh, like five bucks or something. And her husband's response to this is for what? Oh my god! And it's it's a five dollar door <laughs> fee, and he's like, oh my god, you know. So he's got to shell out ten bucks now so that he and his wife can have a good time on their fifth anniversary. You fucking asshole! We all hate you already. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You don't want to spend yep. ten bucks, right? Ugh. Um, which makes what happens next, uh, you're, it's, you're conflicted on who to root for because Jeff Goldblum comes in and it is clear that he and his DJ have a long running bet. They are, uh, the DJ has this awesome DJ setup above the room and then the zoo, which is this really cool place. I mean, I wish this place existed just so we could go hang out in this. It's got a ton of rooms and a ton of floors, and you can see what's going on in every floor from every other floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jeff Goldblum, uh, let's see, the DJ puts up on his glass door a $50 bill. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Goldblum looks at him and puts up three $50 bills. And you realize, oh, they've got a bet going, right? So the DJ puts up, his two other $50 bills. Then he grabs a spotlight and he jams the spotlight on Sue, the woman who's wanting to get in here with her, uh, with her husband. And you realize, Oh, okay. So they have a deal that Jeff Goldblum can hit and pick up any chick in the place. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is Goldblum's thing, but you're like, well now, who do I root for? Her husband is a massive prick. You kind of want Goldblum <laughs> to get her away from him. But he also is just doing this. And you find out he does this to everybody because throughout the movie, women are coming up to him and going, hey, uh, I think I left my sweater at your place and oh, all geez. of this stuff. So, uh, Meanwhile, Franny and Jenny, the high school girls, they try to get in uh, with 
bad fake IDs, which is hilarious because um, the <laughs> the door guy's like, this says you're 25. And she's like, yep. And he looks at the other girls. This says you're 37. <laughs> and she goes, that good Midwestern water, I guess. <laughs> and, he, and then they try to pay with a, uh, with a jar of change. Oh my God. And he's like, get out of here. <laughs> so um, they convince somebody to help them get in through the bathroom window. And, uh. Uh, and that's how they make it in, right? Nicole, who's Donna Summer, she is repeatedly trying to get into the DJ booth to get the uh, the DJ to play her single. Except <laughs> we never see her with anything that is her single, so she's not like holding a tape or anything like this. This all becomes important later when she, of course, gets her moment to sing. But I just want you to know he doesn't have any of her music. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. The Commodore's, uh, roadie, his, his story is he is repeated. He's flying. He's racing to get there in time, right? He is repeatedly getting stopped by cops <laughs> who then want to see what's in the back, who then see all these instruments with the Commodore's logo on him. And they think that he's stolen him. And every time he gets stopped, he has to pull out all the instruments, set them up and play them and prove <laughs> that he is the roadie for the Commodores. Oh my God. And it is hilarious. It is my favorite part. Um, so Floyd finally makes it to the club in time for the Commodores to play. But before they go on, um, they're, they're late. The, the instruments haven't shown up and everything. And um, Donna Summer convinces this guy, you know, I can't remember exactly how he does, how she does it. She's, he's not going to let her on, but she, she gets up and she starts singing the, the song last dance. Do you know this song? Mm -hmm. Last dance for romance tonight. So she just gets up and starts singing it acapella. And he's like, Oh, okay. You want your big chance? Here you go. Like, you know, kind of spite her. And he starts playing that record. Oh. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Is this supposed to be her her single, but it's already, a, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Weird. she, um, she starts singing the song with the music. And of course, what do you think happens? The place goes ape shit. Everybody's sure. like, who is this chick? And, uh, <laughs> and so she shows off, she gets a huge round of applause. And by then the Commodore's music, uh, instruments have shown up. They're able to go on and they start, you know, grooving and having Commodore a great time. I fucking love the Commodore's by the way, <laughs> you guys. So it's so funny because there's Lionel Richie, there's all the Commodores there and everything, but they're listed in the credits as the Commodores. <laughs> um, so Floyd makes it, gets their instruments and everything. Um, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum has been hitting on this guy's wife and he's kind of stolen her away. And he's like, there's a part of the club that sells jewelry and he gets this really nice piece of jewelry for her. And he's, he's like, you know, we, we should go back to my place. And she's like, no, no, I can't do that. But she has left her husband and he's had his own misadventure with this chick who slipped him a Mickey. And he's now oh, wearing, fine. he's the guy wearing his tie around his head, like a headband. <laughs> and uh, the place is called the zoo. Cause it's got a jungle theme. So at one point you see him swinging across the <laughs> rafter with a Tarzan yell and, and all of this shit. And she's horribly embarrassed. So it looks like she's going to go home with Jeff Goldblum, but of course uh, the husband shows up after he's come down from his, uh, his trip. And I'm like, what kind of bullshit pill did you take that only gives you a 90 minute trip? It's 
pretty bad. <laughs> really sucky. Okay. Um, Small amount. And so he, uh, he, oh, well, let me tell you the story of Jeff Goldblum's car through this whole thing. Everybody, oh. <laughs> everybody bumps into his car with their own cars as they're parking, but his car is under a cover, right? So they are, they're all like, oh, fuck it, you know? So they just drive off. So his car has been hit repeatedly <laughs> over the course of the night. God. And he's taking uh, this guy's wife out to it. And the guy then says, you know, hey, I have had enough of you. And he he slams his hand down on uh, Goldblum's car and it just falls apart. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and Goldblum is now like, what? my baby, all this stuff. So um, mm-hmm. they go off together. She still got her uh, her pepper grinder. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna go grind. Right, right. And so... Um, of course, Franny, the gal who we wanted to win the dance contest, does win the dance contest. And uh, she and she she had actually gotten a guy who was there with his regular dance partner and locked her in a uh, a stairwell that she couldn't get out of. And that guy was like, where's my dance partner? And she's like, I don't know, but I can dance. <laughs> so they win the dance contest. And uh, as they leave, um, her friend... She says, uh, now we can get tickets to see Kiss. And and she says, Kiss, that's kids stuff. Where's the next dance contest? So they're, uh, the three of them are going to rush off to the next discotheque for a 1 a.m. dance contest. Wow. This movie is so much fun. Look, it is not, uh, it is not high intelligence. Sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. it, sure. The humor is very broad. Um, not, uh, not, no racism. Wow. That's Zero racism. Great. I mean, every, everybody is absolutely equal in this dance club. There's some bullshit with, um, there's another storyline of a guy who gets set up on a blind date and he's short and annoying and she's very tall and he then takes it out on her. You know, I can't be with somebody like you and all this stuff. And she, um, she finally, you know, cries and, and makes him feel bad and they decide they can work it out. And I was like, oh, oh I God. wanted this guy to get kicked in the nuts. Actually, she does <laughs> She does punch him, and that's when he realizes, oh, this is the chick for me. Like, well, this relationship <laughs> is not going to go well. Go. <laughs> but the music is great. Uh, everybody's having a good time. Uh, Goldblum, I forgot that he was handsome. Sure. <laughs> you know, in, a, in, a, in an yeah. odd way in back like when young, he was young. Yeah. Now he just looks like a kindly old man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was actually, you know, quite a handsome figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, just loved everything about this movie. Way more fun than your movie, Vanessa. Um, it's yeah. so funny. I feel like we shotgunned the spectrum. <laughs> Absolutely. Of, like happy <laughs> makes sense. Silly. Uh, mine depressing as fuck. Good dancing. <laughs> and Eric, whatever the hell you watched, I don't even know. <laughs> Damn right. So yeah. I do have a little bit of trivia here. Uh, the name of the disco where the movie is set was The Zoo, but the nightclub used for The Zoo was Osco's on 333 South La Cienega Boulevard in Los Angeles. The club was demolished during the 80s and a Loman's dress store was built in oh, its place. That sucks. The real place, Osco's Disco, had four dance floors and was famous for being a labyrinth. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, the, everything that's set up there, there's like a video game room, you know, every floor has its own oh. bar and all this stuff. And you see Damn. them wandering through everything. But mm-hmm. then it's got this, um, everything's like on these circular tiers that look down onto the dance floor far below. And it's oh. like, wow, how cool is that? That's great. That's very cool. 
Ah, the movie's original 1978 first issue soundtrack album was a three record set. Whoa. That's weird. But listen to this two 33 and a third LPs, so your regular 12 inch oh, records, okay. and one 12 inch single. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Huh. So it's like, well, you know what? I, and I'm guessing that would have been um, Last Dance, yeah. which was a yeah. gigantic, yeah. gigantic hit. Uh, in fact, the film has garnered a reputation from a number of sources, including from film critic and historian Leonard Maltin, as perhaps being the worst ever movie to win an Oscar, which it won <laughs> for best song. Oh. Sung by Donna Summer. There you uh, go. Uh, this disco mo movie featuring Deborah Winger followed the most iconic of disco pictures, Saturday Night Fever, which starred John Travolta. Winger and Travolta would later star together in Urban Cowboy. Wow. wow. Another trendy dance movie. Yeah. I wonder, here's a weird, weird, weird subcult film. People looking to do something to go to see Kiss. <laughs> uh, right off the top of my head, I can think of three films that do that. <laughs> they were a big band. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess expensive. <laughs> well, the, the funny thing is, dance contest <laughs> it's 78. It probably cost 12 bucks to go see yeah. Kiss. <laughs> yeah, about as much, a little bit more than it costs to get in to do the dance contest. <laughs> <laughs> but they won 250 bucks, which, oh, they, well, okay, yeah. which they split with the dude. So. Maybe they have to fly there. Jesus. <laughs> what is the... Um, Here's what I'm hoping. Eric, I yes. really appreciated this. I'm yeah. sure that uh, I, I appreciated it more than Vanessa and possibly more than any of our listeners. But I would like to hear from our <laughs> listeners to see if this is something that they're okay with. If we yeah. kind of break away from the genre and we just start talking about other genres, you know, like maybe, maybe a Valentine's Day movie doesn't have to be a horror love story. Maybe we can actually do a romantic comedy or something. Mm -hmm. And if that's not what you want to hear, I absolutely want to know that too. Sure. Yeah. Let us know. We probably will go along with it, but we'll also probably blip out of it occasionally anyways. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to disco movies part two. Yeah. Fun one. I, I mean, yours probably had the most popular music by far. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I remember watching Saturday Night Fever going, I don't know if I want to watch this one again, but if, I love the music. Yeah. 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 I would say I don't think I need to revisit <laughs> this film, but I'm glad I ticked it off my bucket list. Um, that means, let's say, let's thank everybody for liking, sharing posts, value for value, all of that Micah, stuff. Micah gave us a nice tip for a while. And Very nice. So did your mother. What? My mom did again? <gasps> mom. Aww. Stop it, mom. We're fine. It's great. Micah, <laughs> keep it up. Micah, my mom feels bad enough that she's got to give us money. So if you could just work it out with her that you're taking care of her and that'd be great. <laughs> I, I think it's great because last week my mom gave money. So it's yeah, just... Exactly. That's so good. She, my mom probably heard that and was like, oh yeah, well, that's, Maybe that's exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Vanessa, I think it's your pick for the next. It is. Um, shockingly, I think I'm going to go ahead and take us back into the world of genre. M musicals? Films. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm just, yeah, pretend this week didn't happen. And... <laughs> So you're going to vote no <laughs> doing outside of horror genre films Not just to avoid disco movies. <laughs> just, yeah, exactly. I don't have to find a disc. I don't want to spend $4, guys. Um, <clears throat> so write your senator. Um, 
So I'm going to go with um, houses that are not what they appear. So this can be, you know, having weird stories like House of Leaves where a house is really changing inside and it feels like the house has a life of its own. You can have, um, yeah, I, I kind of want to hopefully stay away from like just a haunted house because that's like really just obvious. Sure, but, sure. Um, yeah, just weird houses. Houses where something really fucking weird is going on with the house. I love it. Uh, okay, so we're doing that next week. Micah, um, I know that you made a request for something, so we'll make that my next yeah. pick Yeah. Uh, after this. How's that sound, guys? Sounds great. Sounds okay, we will be back in one week and we're talking about houses that are more than they seem. Brain Gion's radio is artisanal quality podcasting, handcrafted with all natural ingredients, and edited to perfection by Eric Morgret. Our blistering theme song is Strange Eons Part 1 by the band Nightshade and is used with permission. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider dropping a positive review on Apple Podcasts. Just sit on it, Vanessa. Sit on what? <laughs>